Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. We're going to turn our attention now to Stanford University, which distanced itself from the Trump administration task force member and Hoover Institution senior fellow, Dr. Scott Atlas, on Monday, after Atlas tweeted that Michigan residents should rise up over new coronavirus restrictions. In a written statement, Stanford said his views were, quote, inconsistent with the university's approach and emphasized the use of masks, social distancing, and following public health guidelines. In September, a large group of Stanford colleagues signed a letter criticizing Atlas for undermining public health by misrepresenting the science on how to tackle the pandemic. And joining us now to discuss the controversies and how they tie into long-standing tensions between university faculty and the conservative-leaning Hoover Institution is Thomas Bartlett. He's senior editor with the Chronicle of Higher Education. Welcome to the program, Thomas Bartlett. Thanks for having me. Good to have you. Also good to have Dr. David Spiegel back with us on Forum, Director of the Center on Stress and Health and Associate Chair of Psychiatry at Stanford Medicine. And welcome, Dr. Spiegel. David Spiegel, do we have you? Well, we will try to connect with him. He is going to be joining us, presumably. And uh, let me begin, if I may, Tom Bartlett, with you. Can you please uh, maybe explain for listeners the connection between Hoover and Stanford uh, so they understand uh, it, it's pretty complicated and it's um, multifaceted, to put it mildly, but maybe you can give us a kind of brief intro. Sure. Um, I mean, Hoover Institution is a, a part of Stanford University. It celebrated its centennial last year. It began as a research library. And then around sort of the 1950s became more of a, a think tank and public policy center. It has, you know, has had longstanding ties to um, Republican White Houses, and that's created friction kind of going back um, some decades. It has about 200 fellows. They have a different, um, they follow kind of a different path to becoming a fellow than say a professor would to getting tenure. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the two institutions though have become sort of more entwined in recent years, but that um, tension still remains. And that tension has been exacerbated by the whole uh, event surrounding Dr. Scott Atlas, which I alluded to in the introduction here, uh, talking about rising up against restrictions in the wake of, uh, well, in the wake of a terrorist plot in Michigan, where he's talking about rising up to kidnap the governor there and possibly even executor uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Let's talk about what Stanford is trying to do in the wake of this. Uh, I mean, it's certainly distancing itself to some degree from his views uh, as being his own and not those of Hoover or Stanford, but there's a lot of pushback from faculty. So draw the picture for us if you could. Um, sure, I mean, so, right. So that, I mean, this is uh, this, this recent tweet from Atlas, you know, prompted a statement, as you said, from Stanford. It was, it was really also a statement from Hoover, you know, really putting some formal distance between his views and, and theirs, but they're, you know, they're trying to walk a bit of a line between uh, protecting academic freedom and saying that you know fellows or professors can state whatever view they wish to state, even if it sort of runs contrary to um, mainstream thinking, while at the same time you know uh, saying this this doesn't um, 
this isn't consistent with what what the university itself has done in terms of following kind of public health regulations, encouraging masks, encouraging social distancing. So they, they are, they're sort of trying to walk a line, but I mean, one gets the sense that this most recent tweet from Atlas, this rise up tweet, which he has sort of, he has, he has tried to walk back, but hasn't deleted, was kind of a, uh, maybe a little bit of a tipping point and they felt they had to come out and say something. Yeah, he said he would never be advocating violence. Uh, he made that abundantly clear, but at the same time, uh, it's it's caused a great deal of consternation, to put it mildly. And talk about the letter, if you would. Uh, there was a letter back in September. It was signed by well, close to 100, maybe even more than 100, infectious disease doctors, immunologists, uh, health policy experts at Stanford, calling attention to what was described as the falsehoods and misrepresentations fostered by Dr. Atlas. A lot of this has to do with ideas that are very controversy, like herd immunity. But also, we should mention that uh, Dr. Atlas was actually called, taken off of Twitter for some of his comments. Uh, Flesh, let me get the, the picture from you on that for our listeners. Sure. I mean, I, yeah, he was, there was a, um, the thing you mentioned with Twitter, um, Atlas had, had posted a tweet that said, masks don't work. Um, he later clarified and said he meant to say mask mandates don't work, which of course is a very different thing to say. And he's also said that uh, he's not good at Twitter. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, clear communication from Atlas has been, you know, one of the issues. And then the other issue is just that his views are outside the sort of public health mainstream. And there were a couple well, of... Excuse me, Tom, one other thing I just want yeah. to add about the Twitter, or the tweets, he also said that uh, children were not apt to either get or spread uh, the virus, which certainly uh, Twitter said is not a fact. And I think they are right on that. Yeah, I... I yeah, right. I mean, I, and I think there's some more, there's there's more vigorous scientific debate around that question. I think there's, you know, the mask comment was pretty clearly, um, you know, outside of the, the mainstream. Yeah, and there have been a couple of letters, one from faculty at the medical school and one from just general faculty at, at Stanford um, objecting to his view. And then there have been calls for, you know, calls for the university, calls for Hoover to get rid of Atlas, to fire him. He's currently on leave. He's a senior fellow there, but there's been those calls. And then it's also brought up, you know, longstanding calls for Stanford, uh, you know, some professors think Stanford should sever its relationship entirely with Hoover. Um, and this has kind of reignited some of that uh, debate. Well, let's uh, hear what Dr. David Spiegel has to say about this uh... David, do we have you on now? Yes, you do. Uh, okay, sorry. good. Yeah. Uh, and again, uh, David Spiegel is director of the Center on Stress and Health and associate chair of psychiatry at Stanford Medicine. And let's talk first of all about uh, free speech and academic freedom and all of that, because it has been part of this uh, witch's brew of controversy that we are facing here. Uh, what about the argument that uh, Scott Atlas is just expressing his opinions here and they're the opinions of an individual? Um, well, uh, free speech is one thing, and that is of cherished value everywhere and certainly uh, in, in academia. Uh, but there are lines. You know, the Supreme Court has ruled that uh, you can't, uh, free speech doesn't include shouting fire in a crowded theater. Free speech also does not include shouting everything is fine in a crowded theater full of unmasked people during a pandemic. And I think the issue here is uh, just speaking in ways that are at variance with science. science. Respect for science is critical to our dealing with a lot of problems, uh, but in particular in dealing with the pandemic. Uh, and unfortunately, um, uh, Dr. Atlas has gone beyond the bounds of respecting science himself. So he presents himself uh, 
as a, he is a uh, senior fellow at Hoover. His uh, uh, Twitter handle was at SW Atlas Hoover uh, until recently. Um, and to the rest of the world, that represents Stanford science. And what he is saying, as Tom has pointed out, is at variance with what we know scientifically. And the AMA ethics standards make it clear that the responsibility of a physician in the public domain is to present science clearly and accurately. That Excuse doesn't me, Dave, mean I have to break in here because we're coming up on yeah. a break. The AMA, of course, the American Medical Association. I also want to give listeners an opportunity to weigh in. You can join us at 866-733-6786. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about controversy over positions held by Trump coronavirus advisor, Dr. Scott Atlas, and Stanford University's connection with the Hoover Institution. And with us is Tom Bartlett, senior writer with the Chronicle of Higher Education, and Dr. David Spiegel, director of the Center on Stress and Health and associate chair of psychiatry at Stanford Medicine. What do you think about the controversy? And especially if you're in the Stanford or Hoover community, we want to hear from you. You can give us a call now at our toll-free number. It's 866-733-6786. The number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. And you can also, of course, get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Before I go to calls and emails, let me go back to Dr. David Spiegel. And uh, David, could you talk about the connection between Hoover and Stanford and what your concerns are there. And I want to remind listeners that we invited Hoover to be on this segment and uh, couldn't uh, get anybody uh, from Hoover who would, who's agreeable or able or available for that matter. Um, so I'm wondering at this point what your thoughts are about this ongoing integration, which if anything between Hoover and Stanford has uh, heightened. Um, uh, it has. Uh, Hoover has a long history at Stanford, but it is an unusual and sometimes uncomfortable relationship. The fellows at Hoover are not members of the Academic Council. They don't go through the usual uh, vetting and, and appointment process that Stanford faculty do. And they report directly to the Board of Trustees, not through the usual academic uh, structure that we have at Stanford. So, and, and Hoover is, is designed as an organization that former President uh, Herbert Hoover uh, started at Stanford to advocate for the values of um, smaller government, uh, free enterprise, anti-communism. And so it has uh, a political agenda. And that, at times, has caused friction between Hoover and Stanford. And part of the problem also is that it is understandable that the rest of the country and the world would not get the distinction between the Hoover Institution as a particular kind of think tank uh, and the general ac and normal activities of academia at Stanford. And so it has created problems in this case when people take what Atlas is saying uh, as representing Stanford science, which it clearly does not, as the letter from 105 Stanford experts in epidemiology and infectious diseases makes clear. 
Let's have our listeners weigh in here. We begin with a caller from Oakland. Jim, you're on. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'd like to point out back in 1971, Stanford fired fully tenured professor Bruce Franklin for giving a speech about people's war during a peace demonstration uh, against the, uh, the war in Vietnam and the war in Cambodia. Nobody died because of that speech. Nobody was injured because of that speech. Nevertheless, Bruce Franklin was fired. Why is it Mr. Atlas being fired? He is saying stuff that endangers the governor of Michigan, and he's giving out health information that literally could cost people's lives in this situation. I think my university, from which I graduated, is being entirely inconsistent by treating this man with kid gloves. And he should be fired just the way Franklin was fired. If they're going to fire Franklin back then, why not fire this guy now? Yeah, well, thank you for that call, Jim. Uh, I knew Bruce Franklin back in the day, and I remember that firing caused a great deal of controversy. There does seem to be some inconsistency, as the caller mentions here, Tom Bartlett. Let's hear from you. I, I mean, yeah, I, that's that's a, it's an interesting point. I'm not familiar with that case. I mean, in, in one of the other issues to think about here are there, you know, there are other Hoover Fellows and a couple of Stanford professors who have also expressed, you know, I think what could be called contrarian views on the coronavirus. So it's, it goes beyond, you know, it goes beyond Atlas. I mean, um, certainly Atlas is, uh, seems to have the ear of the president. He's on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He's very prominent in this way and so influential. So I see why there's a lot of attention directed to him. But, um, you know, there, there are a handful of others that, you know, it, as it happens, a number of the COVID sort of contrarians seem to be at Stanford or at Hoover, um, which is just sort of an odd, happenstance. Um, but so I, I don't know, I think it's, it's more complicated than just Atlas. But those who support uh, Scott Atlas being a part of Hoover and ergo a part of Stanford say that you need diversity of opinions. You need a wide range of opinions and different points of view. That's what universities are supposed to stand for. Right? That's the argument you hear, isn't it, from faculty, other than the hundred some who signed that letter? That's right. I mean, that's certainly the, the argument that um, that the president of Stanford, uh, you know, said it at a recent faculty Senate meeting. He said, you know, the, your, the views of, you know, uh, individual professor may not reflect the views of the university. Um, you know, and he once again, you know, said that we have different views and we were in favor of mass and social distancing. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think it's, it's, I think it might be trickier than the caller, uh, you know, indicates. Now at the same time, Hoover is in a different position. He, uh, um, Atlas is not a tenured professor. He is a senior fellow, which is sort of a quasi-tenure. Um, so I don't know. I, as far as I know, that's Hoover has not, you know, considered firing him. This statement, sort of distancing themselves, is the farthest they've gone. Well, here's a caller who's right on point. It's John from San Mateo. John, join us. You're on the air. Welcome. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm just really concerned about when we always, you know, we consider something uh, to be true. We call it science. And um, anybody who questions it, questions the validity of it or the accuracy of it, is, is sort of silenced and ridiculed. And this seems to me that humanity has a long history of this. Whenever somebody comes out with something that's contrary to what's considered to be, you know, scientifically accepted fact, you know, they're, they're, they're put down and ridiculed. And um, if you do a search on uh, corruption in science, You'll see a lot of articles from The Economist, from the, I think there's a group called the Union of Concerned Scientists, 
I've heard doctors admit it, what goes on in terms of the relationship with these pharmaceutical companies, you know, tracking how, how many of a particular prescription they prescribe, paying doctors to, to, and then giving them the slide decks to give these presentations that are slanted with the view of the pharmaceutical company. So you kind of get what I'm saying. I'm just concerned about we need to be careful about silencing differing opinions. I get what you're saying, and I wonder, uh, David Spiegel, if you could respond to what we're hearing from the caller, Chris. I'm concerned about what you're saying. Some of the concerns about uh, the way science and medicine are practiced uh, have merit. But the essence of science is falsifiability. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. It is fine for people to disagree about science and to do further experiments to document what the truth is. And science is, is evol- does evolve for that reason. It, that is very different from dismissing known scientific knowledge. And so not everyone who criticizes or disagrees is dismissed, but people who dismiss known science have to be sanctioned because they are not taking seriously what is known and it violates the ethical principles of the American Medical Association not to lay out what the known current knowledge is even if you disagree with it and that is not what has been happening here and here's Chris from Modesto Chris join us you're on the air uh, yeah, thank you so much. What the person just said right now sort of speaks to my question. Can the American Medical Association take ethical or professional, or excuse me, professional action against somebody like Dr. Scott Atlas or other doctors in public in positions of public prominence that do sort of put out information that is against the most basic tenets of science? The example of not wearing a mask is that something the AMA can possibly look into censuring him or or something along those lines? You know the answer to that, David Spiegel? You mentioned well, the AMA here. Yeah. I think they could. I don't even know if he's a member of the American Medical Association. You know, I frankly hope they would. I can tell you that the president of the National Academy of Sciences and the president of the National Academy of Medicine recently released a statement that included saying that ongoing reports of instances of the politicization of science, especially the overriding of evidence and advice from public health officials and derision of government scientists, to be alarming. So the highest level of science and medicine in the United States is very concerned about what's happening. And we bring another caller aboard. Brad joins us next. Brad, welcome. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I just wanted to reply to an earlier caller, uh, Jim, who uh, basically espoused firing. Uh, I wanted to say that as odious as I feel like many of the point is on the other side, I feel like we need to remember we're one country, and, and the only way to bridge those gaps are going to be to communicate. And I feel like firing people and taking retribution – uh, is not the way to bridge gaps, and that I feel like if we really have faith in progressive values and unity and overall societal well-being, what we're espousing is makes sense, and we need to get them to see it or have them get to, us to see their views. But firing is just in in other such you know steps. I feel like it's just going to exacerbate the division, and and I think look, we look at the trend. We're heading to civil war. We need to not ha- exacerbate division, but even KQD, reach out and get other people. Ben Shapiro types and others to do what we're talking about. Anyway, well, thank like you for that call. You. you know, it's yes. interesting in light of the fact that uh, I've announced my retirement and back uh, 28 years ago, I had to kind of educate the audience. We put on people from Hoover and got a lot of uh, pushback saying, you know, what are you putting these fascists on? Hoover's now about half 
Democrats, half Republicans, but in those days it was predominantly Republicans. And I said to listeners, uh, even if you're against what they have to say, don't you want to hear what they have to say and maybe use it against them in arguments or rhetorical debate or things of that sort? I'm wondering, though, getting back to the last caller, Tom Bartlett, if I could go back to you, um, Atlas is on leave uh, of absence from Hoover. So how really closely does he need to adhere to Stanford or Hoover codes? Uh, these are, uh, can't they say, can I say these are his personal views? So uh, what criteria, in other words, do we know apply if he's on leave of absence? I'm not sure in terms of whether there's a distinction between the fact that he's on, you know, a leave of absence. I mean, certainly Hoover and my sort of discussions with them, they're, you know, they're very aware that what he says, you know, reflects on them. He is still, you know, a fellow there. He's not currently being paid. He's on leave. But I mean, He's associated with with Hoover and then by extension with, uh, you know, with Stanford. Um, and yeah, I, it, you know, it, as I said, you know, that statement is, is sort of as far as they've gone. And I think, you know, we'll have to wait and see whether they would take, you know, any further action. I, I don't know. And I've asked them whether there's any precedent for firing a senior fellow. Um, and I haven't gotten a response. It doesn't, I'm not sure that they, you know, that that has happened before. And so, um, I don't know. It'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Well, I'm going to read some more emails that are coming in. Richard uh, says, did anyone really think that Atlas was speaking for Stanford? While Atlas is a doctor, he is certainly outside of his realm of expertise. The media should not be giving this guy so much attention. And Kirsten writes, uh, may I ask Michael to ask whether the director of Hoover has made a statement regarding this matter? What have we heard, uh, Tom Bartlett, from Condoleezza Rice, who is now the director of Hoover and has been on their faculty since, what, 1981? That's right, right, and just recently made director of, of the Hoover Institution. Um, she has not said a lot publicly, but she did, um, I, you know, a, through, um, I believe it was through the provost at a faculty meeting, said that, um, wanted to convey that Hoover is following all the normal public um, health guidelines and that, and, you know, also sort of distanced um, herself and the institution from Atlas's views. But, I mean, she hasn't really been, I don't think, particularly out in front and, and commenting publicly on Atlas. And here's Thomas, who writes, conservative think tanks like the Hoover Institute have, uh, institution have succeeded in their goal of moving the country so far to the right that we won't recognize it. The rise of Donald Trump, his white supremacist neo-Nazis in the White House, etc., is the Frankenstein monster created by conservative think tanks. The Hoover Institute has long soiled the name of the University of Stanford, in my mind. And Sarur says, I once talked to an administrator at Hoover about the staff. She said Hoover research staff, especially the very conservative, were very popular among the financial supporters of Hoover who were very conservative and willing to pay lots to attend talks, etc. So I'm guessing that Dr. Atlas brings a lot of money into Hoover. And let's talk about this for a moment with you, Tom Bartlett, because there's really 34 million in donations just last year and a half a billion uh, endowment. Uh, Certainly, a lot of conservative money has flowed into Stanford because of Hoover and has flowed into Hoover because of Stanford, because the two are so integrated. Uh, that plays a preeminent role, one would assume, doesn't it? I, I would think it does. And I think, as, as you may have mentioned earlier, um, you know, many of Hoover's fellows are also Stanford faculty members. So there's sort of a reciprocal relationship there. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's no doubt that that's, you know, that's in that way, you know, good for the university. Um, but you know, I, you know, at this moment, certainly there's you know there are questions questions arise, and there there is a cost to being affiliated with Hoover right now for Stanford, certainly in a public relations uh, realm. But yeah, no, that's that um, that's certainly the case that they're that they're it's a well it's a very well funded think tank. 
And David Spiegel, a lot of this has to do with great concern among those faculty who signed a letter and presumably faculty like yourself about Stanford's name being to some extent sullied by the association with Dr. Atlas, doesn't it? Absolutely, Michael. I personally feel a sense of shame that he is out there doing things that are endangering and killing thousands, hundreds of thousands of Americans. We've lost 250,000 people to this disease. Uh, we've had the highest uh, increase in, in cases that, that we've ever seen in this country. The New England Journal, which doesn't usually opine about this, said that our leaders have failed the test. They have taken a crisis and turned it into a tragedy. The magnitude of the failure is astonishing. Um, this is killing Americans day by day, and the, the policies that are being advocated continue to escalate the number of deaths rather than help to reduce them. That is just unconscionable. Well, let's, uh, I, I don't want to ignore the science here, although um, we're talking to a journalist and a, and a psychiatrist, uh, and we're talking about you know hard science, epidemiology type of science, uh, and infectious disease science when we talk about this. But let me get the picture from you, uh, Thomas Bartlett, in terms of what you've heard with respect to the science. Uh, we keep coming back to Sweden and the whole controversy there about herd immunity, don't we, with Atlas? I mean, he doesn't right. like that tag. He doesn't like to be described or put in that silo, but nevertheless, it keeps coming up. That's right. Yeah, I mean, he, he vehemently rejects that label. He uh -huh. has, uh, but he has been supportive of a thing called the Great Barrington Declaration, which you may have mentioned earlier which you know they which favors what they call focused protection and and sort of encourages people who are at low risk the idea that they would maybe that they would sort of get natural immunity and that they perhaps should be less careful and maybe even sort of intentionally catch the disease and that would that would move us quicker to uh herd immunity and so that that's an idea that's you know very much outside of the public health mainstream um and uh but yeah that's certainly an idea that that atlas has uh has kind of co-signed and promoted on Twitter and in, and in interviews, um, yeah. And Tom Bartlett, again, a senior writer with the Chronicle of Higher Education. Bill is our next caller. Bill, thank you for waiting. Join us. You're on the air. All right, thank you. Can you hear me all right? Yes, sir. Uh, I want to get back to Dr. Atlas's statement on Twitter that uh, people should rise up. To me, that's a, a very obvious call for violence. I don't, I don't see any way uh, around that statement. And... Uh, for that reason, I think Stanford needs to be very strong in their repudiation of him. I, I think we should focus on that, not so much his science, because that is a very uh, dangerous statement he made echoing the Trump administration. Bill, I thank you for that call. I want to read some more emails before we uh, bid you adieu. Uh, listener wants to know, as well as Dr. Atlas, does Stanford also distance itself from Hoover fellow Dr. Victor Davis Hanson? Interesting question to ponder. I don't know the answer to that, but let me read some more emails. Tima writes, as a practicing attorney, I know I could not present Dr. Atlas as an expert on epidemiology. He would not be allowed to testify on such matters as an expert. Why does he have any weight? And Jonathan says, your guest is wrong that the First Amendment doesn't protect Dr. Atlas's right to be an idiot. The more relevant point is that it doesn't protect his employment or connection to Stanford. And a comment from Alex, the thing about debating science is that you need to present evidence and reasoning, not just say, I don't believe that. The latter approach is what Trump does, what his followers accept, and what is destroying the long-established and successful practice of basing decisions and actions on objective truth. Let me thank Tom Bartlett, Dr. David Spiegel, and thank you, our listeners. Good to have you all with us. Uh, 
this hour of forum and we'll be back with you if all goes according to plan on the morrow always remind you to let us know what you think about what you hear on forum or would like to hear by emailing us forum at kqed.org and for all of us here at kqed public radio stay safe i'm michael krasny Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.